we have come as far as verse 25 in chapter 8, uh, where the Jews, and primarily when John uses the word, it's adversarial, they're going to ask Jesus, who are you? That's because of verse 24. Well, 23, he said, I'm not from this world, you're from this world. I'm from above, you're from beneath. And he said, you're going to die in your sins because if you believe not that I am, and you'll see he, he is in italics, it was inserted. If you believe not that I am, which is what the burning bush said to Moses, I am that I am, you shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, well, who art thou? And Jesus said to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then shall you know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, and the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We were Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, You shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant, the slave of sin. And the slave abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free Indeed. Free indeed. Only time John uses that word indeed in the whole gospel. Uh, Paul talks about widows that are widows indeed of a truth. You follow that word, it's used in a number of places in the New Testament. Indeed means certainly, it means without question, it means of a truth. Uh, this is, John remembers, uh, you know, Jesus tagging this sentence with you shall be free and not just free, free indeed, true freedom. And it's important for us to understand, look, this is the land of liberty. We have the Statue of Liberty, you know, uh, sweet land of liberty. We sing it and men have given their lives and died for that liberty and we admire them and we're thankful. But that liberty is temporary and that liberty provides a false hope. And if we lay down our lives for that and die and go to hell, then we've never discovered what true liberty is. 
And I'm th my dad was with the Naval Department for 30 years. I'm thankful. And... But Jesus is talking about a different kind of liberty and a different kind of freedom here, which extends into eternity. They said to him then, well, who are you? He, he said, I am. If you don't believe that I am, <clears throat> and they've heard him say that before. <clears throat> so they say unto him, well, then who are you? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Now, if you're a, a Bible school student, seminary student, you know, they, they say this is the hardest verse to interpret from the Greek in John. The phrase where he says, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. It's interesting to read the church fathers who knew Koine Greek better than Greek teachers today. And uh, they just say, saying, I am who I said I've been all along. Well, kind of, why are you asking me again? There's an, there, there's an emphasis in his answer. He said, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. And to the Jew, only God was able to judge. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but... He that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So Jesus says in this exchange here where he's going to talk about the crucifixion being lifted up and the need we have to be set free. And he's going to talk about what bondage is and what liberty is. And he says here, I've heard this from above. It's a, it's, it's eris. It's a historic fact, he says, of the sender. Through this, he talks about the one that sent me, which is his father. It says the Jews didn't understand. He was talking about his father. But in each place, it's the sender, the one who sent me. I've heard past historical tense, these things from him. The idea is before the incarnation. He, this is something in eternity that comes from the heart of God. And that is that Jesus is to speak his word to the world, not to Israel, to the entire world. That God the Father has something he wants to say to the entire world of unsaved mankind. The world that's driving you and me crazy right now, we watch it on the news, we see things going on. Jesus says, I've heard something in heaven before I ever came, and I've heard it from the sender who is true, and he's asked me to communicate this to the lost world of mankind. Because this world that we live in, you know, you think here's Jesus uh, and he's getting persecuted here. There are death threats. And he's still talking about the love of God. And sometimes we get a little bit of acid. You know, we get a little bit of, you know, test of our faith. And right away, we're ready to just shine somebody on or worse. And Jesus says, no, I'm the, the one who sent me is true. And I heard these things when I was with him before I came and he wants me to speak them to the world, cosmos, to the world, not just to Israel. And that's why I've come. That's why I am here. 
They understood not that he spake to them of the Father, 21 times in the chapter of the word Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, again, historic fact, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please me. Who are you? What are you saying? What are you telling us? What are you saying I am for? Now you're saying you have the right to judge. Only God has the right to judge. What is it that you're talking about? And he says, when ye have lifted me up. Now he's talking undoubtedly about the crucifixion. Use the same phrase in chapter 314. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He uses it in chapter 12, around verse 32, where he says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So primarily, undoubtedly, he's speaking of the crucifixion here. Some try to say, well, him being lifted up is the crucifixion, it's the resurrection, it's the ascension, it's the glorification. Well, we know as Christians all those things are there. But he says, if when ye lift me up. He's talking to the unbelieving Jews. And they're not in charge of his resurrection or his ascension or his glorification. They're going to lift him up. He says, when you, emphatic, when you have lifted up. And wonderfully, the Son of Man, not the Son of God. He goes back to Daniel. It's his incarnation. You know, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, that God came and was manifest in human flesh. He walked amongst us. He feels our pain and our thirst and our sorrow and our betrayal. So he says here specifically, the Son of Man, when you have lifted up, he says, the Son of Man, then... And he goes to prophecy. You know, again, it's interesting. Going to Israel many, many times. In Israel, the Orthodox, the Hasidim, the very religious Jews, they study, again, the law and the Talmud. They don't get saved unless they venture into the prophets. When they read Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 12.10 and Psalm 22, then, then something comes to life in their heart. Jesus then, in face of their unbelief, goes to what's prophetic here. He says, when ye have, future, lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know, gnosko, you will know experientially at that point, some of you are going to become disciples, he's saying. Then you shall know that I am. You'll understand my deity. You'll understand what I've done. And that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me, historic fact again, as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me, and he has two present tenses here, is with me, always with me, is the idea. The Father hath not 
left me alone, is not ever leaving me alone, is a present tense again. Remarkably, he says, for I do always those things that please him. What a great challenge. You know, we come to church, we come to Bible studies, we uh, witness to people, you know, we do the Christian stuff, kids in Christian school, you know, Christian bumper stickers, all that. And he says, but one of the things that set Jesus apart, and if Christ is dwelling in us, it should have an effect on our lives as well. He said, I do always those things that please him. See, if I wrote it, I would say, I don't always do those things that please him. I, I do pretty good. Some weeks around an 80, some weeks around a 90, some weeks 60. You know, the, the, the thing is, you and I, all of us know there are moments, there are times when something pulls us in another direction. And I don't take the time to say, Father, does this please you? Or sometimes what I'm thinking, is this pleasing to you, Lord? What I'm longing after in my heart, is this pleasing to you? And Jesus, every thought, every word, every healing, every action, the way this is written, always, I do always those things that please him. That's a remarkable statement in the context of I do those things I have heard of him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's heard that of the Father. That is part of his course. It pleases the Father that he's going to be lifted up. And he says, but I always do those things that please him. What a remarkable thing to say. He's in Gethsemane. And he says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass, but not my will. Thy will be done. I do always those things that please him. Father, if there's any other way for humankind to be saved, which he came to speak to, he says, humankind. If there's any other way, Father, then let this cup pass. But if not, you can lay on me the iniquity of all of mankind. You can fire all of your wrath down upon me. Jesus here says the Father is always with me. He says then the Father never leaves me alone. Yet on the cross he's going to cry, Eloi, Eloi lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? So interesting. The first thing he says from the cross is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The last thing he says is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But the central thing is not my Father. Why have you forsaken me? It's my God. My God, because he's crying out on my behalf and on your behalf. He says, the Father never lets me alone. Somehow, remarkably, even in that, he was in the middle of the Father's will. It was the Father's will that he goes to the cross. It was the Father's will that he bore your sins and my will. You know, God in heaven. 
And people have all different ideas of what it is. Jesus says, I speak the truth because I was with him. He is truth. He taught me. I heard these things there. I bring them into this world to open them up and speak them to a lost, dying world. And when I'm lifted up, when you have lifted me up, you're going to know. You'll come to an experiential knowledge of who I am, he says. And he says, the Father sent me. He, he never leaves me. He's not going to leave me alone. He's always with me. For I do always those things that please him. Interesting. Go through the Bible on your own. Or, you know, you can use your phone. You can uh, get Blue Letter Bible or Concordance. And just look up the word please or delight. And just go through the scripture and see all the things it says that delight God that you and I can do. Like the prayer of the upright is his delight. It's his delight that we can delight the heart of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We always think that means because there's a song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, we always think what that sounds like it should be with a polka band, but we, we, we always think that what that means is when we get into a tough situation, we make it through because we have the joy of the Lord. That's not what it means. It means what gives our Father in heaven joy is when his children remain strong in difficult situations. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Here he says, and, and he's dwelling in our hearts, I do always those things that please him. Remarkable. Remarkable that you can have that kind of concourse with your creator and your redeemer. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, by the way, doesn't say they believed in him. Doesn't say many were born again, because John tells us the spirit was not yet given. The church begins on Pentecost. But it's certainly it's, it's an isolated pe- you know, period of human history where there are people that were walking with him, watching his miracles. Past generations hadn't done that. Listening to his word, and some of them here are believing on him. This must be the Messiah. And many of them will become disciples. It says, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those which believed on him. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you continue in my word. Now, by the way, if there's in the subjunctive, it means if you might and if you might not. It's said with expectation, but the if of expectation there doesn't give us necessarily a positive outcome. It can go either way. So he says this, if, here's how you can tell, you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You know, the scripture asks for conversion and continuance. And we put a lot of... uh, a lot of emphasis on conversion, and we should. We've done the Harvest Crusades here. We see people saved. It's wonderful. 
But then we also do the New Believers class because it isn't just enough to have conversion. Jesus says continuance then is necessary. And it gives an evidence that something's really happened in someone's life. You know, Don McClure once told me, he said, you know the difference between an evangelist and a pastor? I said, no. He said, well, you go to the maternity ward. And he said, the guy standing there giving out cigars pointing at the baby, saying, I did that. That's the evangelist. He said, the woman that looks all worn out, sitting there in a hospital gown with bags under her eyes, that's thinking, I got to take care of this for the next 18 years, that's the pastor. (laughs) You know, both are necessary. There has to be conversion. Then there has to be continuance. And Jesus says that here. They believed on him. He understood what was going on. He says, but if you continue in my word, and many of them, of course, would, then are you my disciples. He says here, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. By the word, the the word there indeed is not the same word as indeed down in verse 36. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know experientially again the truth, and the truth, notice, shall make you, not set you, make you free. Look, he's going to talk about slavery here and bondage as he goes through these. The word The truth shall make you free is a very specific word, free there. And it means to set a slave free, to to make a slave free. It doesn't mean, sometimes we look at the word redemption in the New Testament. It means to buy a slave from the slave market to set that slave free. This one, the person isn't someone who's bought the slave. It just uses the word of setting a slave free from slavery. And what he's saying here is falsehood is slavery. It's bondage. Truth is freedom. Look, we look at the world we're living in and we think of, you have to understand that sin does not satisfy. People sin not because it makes them feel good. Not because they sin and get enough and they're satisfied. People sin because they're addicted to sin. People sin because they have a fallen nature and that fallen nature can't hunger for anything holy or that which is in heaven. That fallen nature only hungers for what will satisfy it in this present world. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, Paul would say. People sin because they're addicted to sin. You know, if you're here today and you say you're a Christian, but you're continually living in sin, you're not free. He doesn't say he's going to give us freedom to sin. He says he's going to give us freedom from sin. That the freedom he provides sets us free from sin. That there's a life change. Because look, Look at the world we live in. We, we got news. We got media. We got things that no generation ever had. And we look at the insanity. You know, 
my country, tis of the sweet land of liberty. Well, we don't know what liberty is. We don't know what freedom is. You know, we, we think as a, as a culture, it means I'm free to do this. I'm free to dr drink what I want, free to snort what I want. I'm free to use fentanyl. I'm free to be sexually whatever I want to be. I'm free to use pornography. I'm free to be angry. I'm free to shoot somebody. I'm free to... Do you know what freedom is? He doesn't say I'm giving you freedom to sin. The world's doing that all around us. He says, I'll give you freedom from sin. Because sin is bondage. Falsehood binds. Truth sets free, Jesus said. And you will know experientially the truth. And that true will make you a slave that is free. That has been freed. Now people respond this way. They say to him, we're Abraham's seed. Hey, we're religious. We believe in God. We've never been in bondage to any man. How dare you say you shall be made free? We've never been in bondage to any man besides Egyptians and Assyrians and Babylonians and Greeks and Persians and Romans right now. We've never been in bondage. But look, people that are in sin are blind. People that are in sin don't say what you're trying to tell them. People that are in sin always tell the same story. Hey, I'm religious. I believe in God. Who do you think you are telling me what bondage is? I've never, I'm not in bondage. I like to get stoned once in a while. Yeah, my girlfriend and I, we live together, but God's blessing my business. And, you know, things are hunky-dory. And how dare you tell me, you know, that sin causes bondage. I'm, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm an American. I'm free. There's Americans that are going to go to hell. And it can be very offensive to the sinner to hear that they need to be set free. And these Jews, complete denial. We've never been in bondage. Now, certainly it means spiritual freedom, moral freedom. He's talking about a freedom that is more specific than how they embrace what he says. But it's still the same thing. You're going to set us free? We don't need you to set. We don't need your Jesus stuff. We don't need your forgiveness stuff. I didn't hear about sin. Who do you think you are? You live how you want to live, and I'll live how I want to live, and God's happy with everybody. I heard Whoopi saying this week, that, uh, or last week, that abortion is fine with Jesus. Well, that's, that's the made-up God the, the culture we're living in embraces. He's not fine with sin. And you know why he's not fine with sin? Because he's a big mean guy with a stick up there waiting to whack somebody. He's not fine with sin because it, it's bondage and it's slavery. And he hates what it does to image bearers. And sin is unraveling and destroying the world that we live in. And Jesus hates that. Because an image bearer should always do the things that please the Father. That's freedom. That's freedom. But people get mad. When you try to say you can be set free, you can, you can get out of this mess. You don't have to live this way. And it's always the same excuse. I've never been in bondage to anybody. What are you talking about? 
Then Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily. Whenever John gives us a very, verily, verily, it's, it, the emphasis is there. Truly, truly. I think the Greek is amen, amen. Verily, verily. You have to listen. This is important. I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the slave, same word, of sin. Not a servant, but a slave. The slave that needs to be set free. Verily, verily. You know, if we were one of the disciples and with the Lord, and he said, truly, truly. Kind of perk up your ears a little. The ears of your heart. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin, committeth, I like the King James, the ETH on the end tells us that's a present tense. Whoever is living in the habit of sin, whoever is living a sinful lifestyle, that's your lifestyle, that's how you live. He says, anyone, whosoever, is living in sin as a lifestyle is the slave of sin. Whoever you serve makes you a slave. And look, it says whosoever. I don't care, male, female, whatever there may be these days beyond that. You know, Democrat, Republican, what's that matter? Libertarian, uh, American, Russian, Israeli, Chinese, rich, poor, up, down, sideways, it doesn't matter whosoever. No matter high, how high they up in royalty or in politics or how low they are in the gutter, it doesn't matter whosoever. It's wonderful to use it. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but everlasting life. He's talking to the same whosoever's here. Whosoever lives in sin as a lifestyle. Doesn't matter how rich they are and much notoriety they have. Doesn't matter if they have a certificate on their wall or they call themselves a priest or a minister if they're living in sin. Whosoever lives in sin as a lifestyle is the slave of sin. That's who they're serving. That's what they're serving. And the slave abideth not in the house forever. The culture, he, they would know, of course, what he's saying. First of all, if you were a Jewish slave or a Jewish servant, you could be an indentured servant, have to work in the house of another Jewish man or woman for seven years to pay off a debt. And at the end of seven years, you were set free. The slave doesn't abide forever. Save, slave could be sold. Slave could die. He's going to say here, but the son abides forever. The slave doesn't in a house. He's giving an example. But the, the, but the heir, the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free from slavery, you shall be free 
from slavery indeed. In their culture, they understood that the heir, whoever the heir apparent was, whoever was the heir was, the son, the daughter, you know, there's a difference in your, in your life between the guy that cuts your grass and your son, between the guy that paints your house and your son, between someone you hire, you know, to do something else around the, the house or whatever, and your son or your daughter. The heir is different than the person who serves. The person who serves doesn't abide in your house forever. The son does. The daughter does. There's an heir. And in this culture, the heir had the prerogative to set a slave free if they wanted to. And it was honored. He's here, that's why he says, If the son, therefore, he's the heir, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, with certainty, without question, without a doubt, without any other challenge. You will be free indeed, of a certainty. Are you that way this morning? Certainly free, without a doubt, without a question, I'm free. Without anything threatening that truth, I'm free. Without anything challenging that, I'm free. Because you deserve to be free? No way. Because he made us free. And we understood that when he was lifted up. And we came to know and came to understand. And the truth has set us free. The truth has set us free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth has set us free. Freedom, what does it mean? Reading through F.B. Meyer on John, he said this. The slave must be made free. Not free to sin, but free from sin. Freedom from Adam's imputation of sin, the fallen nature. Freedom from the lash of the law, because people who didn't keep the law were punished. Freedom from the weary gnawing of remorse, trying to make things right yourself. Freedom from the hopeless effort of trying to produce our own perfect life. Freedom from the bondage of corruption. Freedom from the love of sin. Freedom from the fear of death, praise the Lord, and trying to sustain our own life. Freedom from this evil world, freedom from an uncertain future. Once you're a child, you're always a child. Once you're born again, you ain't going back. We had four kids, none of them were going back. (laughs) And he says here, he can specifically set us free of slavery. You're here this morning and you are a Christian and you're willing to argue everybody about your Christian freedom and what you do. Look, if it's stumbling someone else, if it's questionable in scripture, you're his disciple if you continue in his word. If you're not continuing in his word and you're claiming your freedom to do anything questionable or sinful, then you are a slave of sin and not a slave of Jesus Christ. And you're not doing those things that always please the Father. So as a Christian, 
John would also say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Make him a liar. The truth is not in us. So Christian brothers and sisters, if you're in bondage this morning, and if you're serving sin in any way, you're slave. If you say the word Lord, that means that's someone you serve. You're here today and you never come to Christ. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, I wish he would shut up. I'm hungry or I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> but the question is, you wouldn't be here if someone wasn't trying to tell you about Jesus. When they try to do that, are you saying, what are you talking about? I've never been in bondage. What are you talking about? I can do what I want to do. I can go where I want to go. What are you talking about? I'm free. Falsehood produces bondage. Falsehood and the lies our culture lives on that come down the pipe into our living rooms and our media devices and come at us from every direction to anesthetize us. That falsehood produces bondage, doesn't produce freedom. The Bible never says that God would make us free to sin. It says he would make us free from sin. And you can be free this morning. Look, maybe as an unbeliever, you're realizing, you know what? I am in bondage. I get mad. Everybody tries to tell me that. But I'm blind. I'm a slave. I can't get away from it. You can get away from it. As we sing the last song this morning, if in your heart you think, I want this freedom. Jesus said he would give you rest for your soul. Not Calvary Chapel, not a man, not a pastor, or a priest, or a church. Jesus Christ. And as we sing this last song together, if you want that today, you want to be saved, you want to be set free from your sin, you want to come into the light and out of the darkness, you want to be done with the bondage and the slavery, you come forward as we're singing. You just come. We want to pray with you and give you a Bible. And you just come the way you, that you are. Let's stand. Uh, if a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. Pray while we're doing this, please, Christians. But you'll know in your heart, you know what, I need this. You can fool everybody else. You can say, what are you talking about? I've never been in bondage. But in your heart, there's something speaking there. Jesus said, no man comes unless the Father draws him. That language is not human. It bypasses and surpasses every human language on the planet so that no human can ever say they didn't hear it and understand it. It is a language of the heart that every human being understands. And if you're lost today, you're in sin today, you're blind today, you're the servant of sin, and you want to be set free. You want to be done with it. You go to bed at night and lay your head on the pillow and know you got everybody else fooled but the loneliest place in your life is when you're alone and you're tired of trying to do it on your own. And you want Jesus? You come today. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And if you know you need to be saved, you come. Stand here. We want to pray with you. Right in front of everybody. You come. Lord Jesus, I know you've overheard. And Lord, we can, uh, we can make the invitation, Lord. We can put this out, but your word says you're the one 
who daily, Lord, adds to the church, not us, Lord, that you're the one who brings such as should be saved. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Let it be effective in all of our hearts and minds, Lord. Let, it, let there be something here, Lord, that you sowed in each of us as your individual sons and daughters that we hold on to, that we walk with, Lord, that we go forward with. But we also pray, Lord, for, for brothers and sisters here that have been in the bondage of sin and hated to hear about it, and then they just want freedom. They want to be emancipated, Lord that you speak to them. We pray for for any man, woman, child, Lord, that is lost. They're lost, Lord. And there's not a Garmin or a map that can get them out of it. There's no Google map for where they are, Lord. And they know it. Lord, draw them by your love today, your forgiveness, Lord. Let them come from darkness to light, Lord. Let them hear that message that's to be spoken to the lost world because of your love. Draw them, Lord. We trust you to do that. We pray in your name. Amen.